0: Greetings, family. Today we have a very special episode. About a month ago, Nobles Culture teams gathered for a day of learning around restorative practices. We were joined by two special guests, Dr. Robert Spicer and Terrence Pruitt. In this episode, we talked to both Terrence and Robert about the sessions that they led and what it means to bring restorative practices and anti-racism into school spaces. We also had the opportunity to speak to our deans of culture, who talked about what they found to be the most valuable part of their learning for that day. This episode is a little bit longer than the other ones, so let's jump right in. just wrapped up our quarter three restorative intentions with our culture Ooh. specialists. Um, you two gentlemen, who will get the audience a chance to introduce you to in a minute, um, but we focused a lot on, re- on our restorative practices that we wanted our culture teams to be able to come through this experience, come through as experts of this work, and to be able to go back into their campus spaces feeling equipped to go back and lead the work on their specific campuses. Mm. So that was our framing for our day today, but before we talk about what we talked about today, I want to give our audience an opportunity to hear from you two. So, Terrence. Go ahead and jump in
1: man introduce yourself to our audience oh, peace to the audience uh, my name is terrence pruitt um i am blessed to be cynthia's son and adia's husband uh and tyler and nesta's father and the work that i do as an expression of the love they give me is that i lead an organization called project restore initiative uh it's about healing justice work uh, and for me you know being with you all today is kind of like a homecoming mm-hmm. you know because i uh, used to be the dean of discipline uh at, um DRW over in North Lawndale. Uh so you know that family and that, that space is really dear to me. And being in the Dean's rooms and thinking about, you know, the, the times when we were in there together and we had trains, um, wishing for this type of intensive and deep dive uh is really dope. So I'm happy to be with you all today. Uh you know, kicking it to spice.
2: Well, I can't say it enough how incredibly thankful I am to be back with Nick uh Jones. we Shared some incredible times at Finger High School during its shift and its change, and um, it's just warren, it just warms, just warms my heart to see you in the role that you're in, and to see you leading uh, this incredible effort. Uh, and then, of course, you telling me, "Well, I watched you," <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. and I'm like, "Well, good. I'm glad you just don't Watch me, and I, I hope it continues to manifest." Um, I'm a uh, parent of four children. Uh, One from a previous marriage who graduated from college uh, during this pandemic. I'm still trying to figure out how the heck he did that. And he graduated early, Tennessee State University down in Nashville. Uh, My oldest um, from my current marriage is in law school, UIC Law School, formerly John Marshall. And my children, uh, my twins from the same uh, marriage that I'm with are now, one is in Lindblom and one is at Curie High School. I just picked up the one yesterday from a, 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 a semifinal basketball game that Kyrie lost, uh. but um, I'm just really happy about the progression that my children are doing. And as, as Terrence said, he's so right, like the love that they give me allows me to do restorative strategies, right? Which is the organization that my wife and I started after the work I did at Finger High School. And the focus is around training and technical support around the practices of restorative justice and its philosophy. Restorative justice being justice that heals. And so my whole focus is to envelop this world. And I've traveled the world and try and get as many people invested in this process. And I'm just so happy to be here with the Noble team. I was with you before mm-hmm. um, on, on another training mm-hmm. and now to be here at this level and to work with your, you know, your boss, uh, Dr. Franklin, and the great work that she's doing, and also the other, you know, members of the team. And to be able to present with this incredible man right here. If you look at my little notebook, I have copious notes <laughs> because brothers dropping stuff. It was just amazing just to get that information and to, to connect it with brain science and connect it with all the different uh, pieces. I learned so much being there, even though I was a presenter. I learned so much being in the presence of all of them.
0: To thank you all again for joining us today. Um, it was definitely a pleasure to have you all together today. One, you've been working with Terrence, been working with us over the last two summers, mm-hmm. uh, building our muscle around restorative practices, specifically with our coached teams. You've also been able to get into some schools and work directly with our, some of our campuses as well. So this is a continuation of our work with you, Terrence, and Robert, the same thing. Like, you worked with me many years ago, uh, training our peer mediators at Houston College Prep was one of the Nobles campuses as well. Yep. And so this was like a full circle moment of saying, like, how do we bring in our partners to make sure that our teams get that same level of expertise in front of them? Yeah. How do we bring them in to get that level of expertise so they too can feel like experts in the work that they do? And so as we continue our work, I'd like to say gratitude to you all as well for the time you spent with us today. Thank you. I think that our team members and really enjoyed themselves today. Um, and I think that it's also just a stepping stone as we continue on our journey as becoming an anti-racist organization and creating anti-racist classroom spaces for our students. And so for today, we kind of tackled with four different components today of our work today. Uh, mainly, we talked about uh, restorative chats, mm-hmm. we talked about restorative circles, and we talked about mediations on the adult level, and we also talked about mediations on the student level when you talk about peer mediation or peer conferences as well. So let's just go through and just talk about like, how we framed our day. Um, feel free to just jump in and kind of talk through it. Well, we, we had a full day. We got here at 8.15. Uh, uh, we just wrapped up about 15 minutes ago. So let's kind of give our audience a quick overview of like, what we discussed, uh, starting with restorative circles.
1: So we spoke about restorative circles as our starting point, and I think it was really important. One of the things that uh, that when we were in our pre-meetings that we wanted to make sure we we had alignment that we started with, like, what are the things that we can do large groups as interventions uh, as restorative practice? And then how do we then bring it into smaller groups and, and more intimate settings for our intervention? So when we talked about restorative circles, I felt like it was super important that we really discuss the what and the why. And not the what and the why of like why we use the tool, but why we restore and what do, what are we restoring? So setting that foundation, I thought would be essential, not just for me to talk about the practice of utilizing restorative circles to deal with the wear and tear of our relationships, to build connection amongst our teams and with students and in all of the spaces that we can utilize that tool um, or to respond to harm, but to really center in why are we restoring Period. And really centering humanity, that each of us are humans that are deserving of spaces that affirm our full identity, are deserving of spaces where we can thrive and build tools and connection and relationships, and also we centering dignity. Because the easy way for us to move when we talk about large institutions, whether you are a school or a company, the easy way is to see people as unpeopled. Right. That you're not human, you are a worker, you are a student. And we've gotten to that practice in a lot of our education spaces, a lot of our institutions. where we don't see the fullness of our dignity and our humanity. So setting that floor was essential for us to say, hey, this is about humans that you serve and serve alongside. And these tools are about using these tools to continue the building of our restorative practice, the way we are and the way that we engage in different spaces. And so I, I felt like that was a great starting point. It seemed as if there was some real connection, uh, to the, the process. Cause so often when we think about restorative circles, you know, and I don't want to, you know, make this sound like it's a negative cause it's a brilliant process that has created safe space for a lot of students across the country is we immediately think response to violence, peace circles, right? And we're using circles for peace because we have harm. And I think when we do that, that, that broad stroke, of making this about, you know, just reestablishing order and reestablishing peace. We lose the opportunity to use circles for what millenn- for millennia communities have used circles to do, to connect, to establish relationships. It's a reason why in many cultures when we sit to eat, we sit in a circle, right? When we sit for holidays, we sit around a table. That's a part of who we are as humans. And so I think reestablishing that, that what, you know, why, why we restore um, and, and what are we to restore? We're restoring relationships and using these tools to do so. Uh, that was a big part of what we discussed. And I think one of the key takeaways for me is after session, having folks come up and say, hey, we dealt with some real things when we did our practice. Uh, you know, with Project restore. You know, we're dealing in healing justice and healing justice is about two sides of the coin. The first side of the coin is how do I create safe spaces for folks that have been harmed by structural violence or structural harm? And then the second side of the coin is how do I mitigate the risk of further harm by building people's capacity to create safe space for one another? And I think that th- what this really was today was an opportunity to play in that second side of the healing justice. Whereas like I learned this thing from Spicer, I learned this thing from from you know, Dr. J or from Nick, or I learned this thing from Pruitt. But now do I get to go play with this this tool that I learned and really become acclimated in a way that's connected to my lived experience. And it was beautiful after the session when I had folks come up to me and say, hey, when we did our practice mini circle, we had a real conversation about some real things on our staff. And, and to see that, OK, if this was transformative for you all. We walk past classes. They're laughing at the first prompt. They're enjoying each other. And then walk past other classes and they're having real conversations about what it looks like to feel supported uh you know for our listeners when we play you want to make sure we always want to make sure that when we give practice that that practice is pointed towards their lived experience it doesn't help us to give you a tool and then talk about you know what would this look like outside of you in this abstract way but to really give them prompts and questions where they can connect it to their experience so the first prompt that they dealt with in their mini circle was when was the last time that you smiled wide or laughed hard? And we literally walked around the school when they were in their rooms and we hear laughter. <laughs> so that's an indicator to us that they're sharing and they're connecting. Right. So they're connecting in that space of joy, because that's essential to restorative practices, realizing that it's not just about how we respond to harm, but it's how we establish and cultivate spaces where people can thrive and experience joy. So we started them with a prompt about joy and then they got opportunity to talk about something that i knew would be uh it would be a line starter right it would be that line in the sand if you're going to really be committed to the practice we said you know can you think of a time when you were relying on somebody on your team or your colleagues and they didn't come through for you how did you heal that situation so that pushes us not only to say you know well, this person did X, Y, and Z, but it's like did we heal did we do the work of healing and to hear folks come back and say yo that second question was a great question for our team and we built from that that was powerful for me
0: and before we even got to that piece about them going into those rooms we actually did our part of curating the space and our learning space that promoted play yeah uh, we brought in some tangible things on the tables in the room that they had i think we had some play-doh yeah. we had some fidget spinners uh we had some uh some slime. I think I said it all right. Coloring already. books. Coloring books. So we had things to, to curate a space that would start to open our participants up mm-hmm. to having that human experience, to having that connection to be open to play before we even started playing in the way that we want to play it today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we played in the circles and then we transitioned from that space to this space. You led our spaces and we talked about.
2: I had the opportunity to share about restorative chats, which is is one-on-one conversations that adults can have with young people that's restorative based and focusing on redirecting and supporting their social emotional learning as well as skill development. Most times when young young people have issues and struggles, it's not because they're bad, right? That's a label that unfortunately people put on our young people. It's because they have a lack or a deficit in a particular social skill. So our job as educators is to help support them in developing that social skill, going back to what um, Mr. Pruitt talked about, giving them the tools. Mm-hmm. And then when they don't do it correctly, they gotta go back, get the correct knowledge, and then move forward to be able to master that particular that particular area. And so we took them through you know, the different module, and then I had the opportunity to meld the circle with the actual restorative chat. So we did a fishbowl, where they would be in circle and they would you know, look at or, or, or support the individual that's doing a, a actual scenario. Mm-hmm. They have puzzles that they brought and then we also had puzzles that we gave them. And the puzzles are specific to actual scenario. So I, I like that, that, that terminology, mm-hmm. but I know that's a terminology based in Noble, so I wanna let the audience know mm-hmm. that. And so from there, they were able to actually have them do the scenarios and then they actually did circles where they gave them areas of growth and areas of glow, areas that did well and areas that they needed more support. And that was a way for them to be able to get real-time feedback so that when they were ready to go back to the classrooms and the schools that they're going to go back to the 18 schools all across this uh, incredible city, they'll be ready to be able to give that feedback and support to their teachers and staff.
0: And we were so, actually able to do that too. So we actually did, we taught the skill or taught a practice mm-hmm. and we gave our, our participants, our team members, the opportunity to go back and practice those those uh, practices in their team, in their campus team. So we really focused a lot of our time today on like the how we're a space for our team members to go and get that feedback from one another, to practice it in a safe space before they even go back to their campuses and attempt to uh, train their teachers on these practices that we learned today as well. So I appreciate the fact that as we collaborate with one another, we all knew that that was like the meat of today, Mm -hmm. the practice part. Yes. And so we melded the circle, we got the the restorative chats in, and then we kind of closed out our time today with mediations. Terrence, you talked to our group today about uh, mediations between adults and between students, and you really focused a lot on like those being centered in relationships. Yes. Can you talk to our audience a little bit about like why those moments need to be centered in relationships and not about just moving to another thing to do on our checklist?
1: I mean, one of the, the number one reason why those moments need to be centered in relationships is that that's what culture is. We, like, we have to get back to, to, we are human beings that are fit within the context, in the timeline, And our expressions or ways of being is our culture. And what we do sometimes is we take whatever the new hot word is, or we put it on a strategic plan, or we write it in a new uh, model for our school or ourselves, and we say, oh, we're restorative. Well, if on paper it says you're restorative, but in practice you don't build relationships, it's not restorative. It's just not what it is. So a lot of times it's about getting us to the space to where what we say about our culture is consistent to the lived experience of our culture. Are are the youth experiencing restoration? Are the staff experiencing spaces of affirmation and restoration? And the only way you'll get to a space that's actually restorative in practice is through relationships because I'm dealing with human beings. If this was dealing with robots and algorithms, it would be way easier. right. You just you just go ahead and take your code and you're going to tell the algorithm what to do, what to look for, and you step away from it. Right. But we're dealing with human beings, which means we have to build the capacity for you one. To affirm your own humanity in your engagement with your your cohort or with your your colleagues or with the students that you're serving, and then to always be reaffirming the humanity of the youth we're serving. So that's just the idea of culture. Culture being our ways of being. But the thing we can never forget is that while we are people with cultures that sit in the timeline, we also are dealing with the context. Mm-hmm. The youth that we serve here in Chicago, the youth that Noble serves across these this city are coming from communities where in media they are dehumanized in lessons. They are dehumanized. Uh, one of the things that, that Spicer talked about is he talked about, you know, how there's these ways that we talk about youth and the things that they sometimes believe or these skills they don't have. And with the concept of bad, good or bad students. And what we have to realize is when we're moving into a space that's liberatory and it's actually dealing in restorative practice, we have to question why it's so easy for us to believe that the malfunction is the human and not the policies, practices and ways of being that we have conditioned that human to, to exist in. Mm-hmm. So we call the student bad, but we are gonna call our practices and our policies bad. And that action that we're doing, that action is called institutional sovereignty. That's where you believe that the institute is sovereign and sinless and right and that the humans have to prove to the institute why they're worthy of being a part of it. A lot of the exclusionary practice that we see in our spaces is because we've looked at human beings and we've said, you're going to be unpeopled. You're not human no more. Right. You need to fall in line. You need to do this. You need to do that. I don't have to deal with your context. I don't have to deal with what you experienced before you got here. I don't have to deal with, you know, what's happening in your real life. You just need to fall in line. And that's not how we do. None of us want that. Right. None of us want that in our workspaces. None of us want that in our personal relationships. Try to pull that off with my wife. That's not going to work. Right. So like, how about we rehumanize our spaces? And in rehumanizing our spaces, we recognize that nothing's going to happen without relationships. So when we talk about mediations, many times we're just thinking about there was a conflict or a disruption and we want everybody to calm down and be OK with each other. And I wanted us to rethink that.
0: Why do they want them to calm down and get OK with each other? Though? Yeah, because the, we the per- like, yeah, to want to, to move on. There you go. They want to move on to
1: whatever it is. If, if, whether I want to finish lunch or I want to I want to do these other practices. And I think sometimes in our institutions, we, did, we get so disconnected from the humanity that we sometimes forget what schools are for, yeah. right? They're, they're like the youth that are with us, they're learning. They're either learning that they are fully human, deserving of dignity, and that they have supportive adults that uh, want the best for them and that love them and express that love through a commitment to restoration, or they're learning that there are some institutions that I have to live in and I have to live in the space of fugitivity. Yeah. I got to learn how to be me, even though the way I am is not what they want from me. And that's what many of our schools have been. And we, we know that fugitivity, that's the talking in the back of the room. That's the, I know what the dress code is, but I wore this anyway, right? Because what do human beings do when there's not relationship? We resist, we resist. That resisting at your school might be gross disrespect. That resisted in another school might be always having your cell phone when you shouldn't. But when we feel as if we're in spaces where we're, there's only transactional relationships, we resist those spaces. So I wanted them to get away from the idea that this is just about the, the, the I'm responding to a fight and more I'm responding to, a, to a, uh, a tear or wear and tear in the relationships in our space. And how do we heal those relationships and get into a space where we can all be affirmed, we all can feel safe. Um, and we can thrive. And so that's really what we want to dig into from the adult side and kind of speak into some of the ways that we as adults make missteps around mediation. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about, you know, not being experts in the lived experience of our youth. Our youth are experts in their own lived experience. I'm, it's been 20 years since I was a high school student. So how dare I walk in and think I know what it's like to be a high school student in the <laughs> middle of a pandemic? Like I I couldn't even begin to understand that. Right. So I think that's why it's important for us to kind of talk to those ways that we kind of make missteps in mediations um, and, and do some realignment on our purpose of our mediations. And I know that it was perfect for me because I got to talk about what are the adult responsibilities in building this space. And then Spicer got to come right behind me and say, okay, well, if we're gonna build these practices with you that we also need to be building the capacity within our youth to do mediations themselves. And so that was a great scenario.
2: What I like uh, that you mentioned throughout your conversations is this whole notion of being uh, dehumanized and this whole notion of reclaiming your humanity. Mm-hmm. I think that that's foundational on everything you've spoken about since we've been together. And I really appreciate you um, distilling this to the, the retaking of, mm-hmm. by force if necessary, right? Mm-hmm. in a peaceful way, but by force, uh, affirming our humanity, mm-hmm. who we are as people yep. and how just because of the color of our skin should not diminish who we are as a human being, that you as an institution should see me as who I am as a human and value that and have me be a part of this institution in a way that's going to be uh, fruitful for all. So I just want to affirm that I've been hearing that throughout the whole presentation. And as I said earlier, I'm, I'm a student. I'm sitting there taking notes. But even in the podcast, you're bringing that up and you're hitting home the notion that we are human beings. Right. First. Uh, right. You know, when 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 the when the when the, um, the civil rights movement at, at its at its at its apex, right, and all the things that were going on. When you think of what was going on in Memphis mm-hmm. with those sanitation workers, right, and the signs that they carried said, "I am a man," right. I'm I'm to be valued. I'm not to be belittled. And our young people feel that way, right? They saw what happened. Um, uh, you know with our brother George Floyd and 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 many others right that we you know we could just be on this podcast for hours if we want to name all of those men, young boys and young ladies that have been killed at the hands of an oppressive system. Mm-hmm. And so this whole notion and then where does that oppression start, right? We know where it starts. It starts from the moment you walk into an institution and it, that devalues me. Whatever the institution is. And so bigger than what we've been talking about, which is the how
3: mm-hmm.
2: this brother's been talking about the reason why. The stakes are too high. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Our young children are dying. People have written dissertations, books about the babies in the water going down the river. Oh, look at these poor babies. They're underwater. Oh, look at them. But nobody's going up the hill like Pruitt and saying, why are you throwing those babies in the water in the first place? You need to stop that. And so I think it's so crucial that, yes, we're teaching them how to do circles, and they're practicing it. We're teaching them about the mediations and they're practicing it but what and i hope noble you know community got it what prude was talking about throughout the whole thing was humanity is at the core of this relationship right rules without relationship reaps rebellion it's going to be rebellion right and if you're trying to capture culture you have to understand that that's basic relationship we were we were in rooms with our colleagues we were even sitting in the actual form you know mm-hmm. with our colleagues and talk for what about 40 minutes 30 minutes mm-hmm about a puzzle that they were dealing with, the struggles that they're dealing with, the feeling of uh, devalued, right? Feeling like they were being put in the middle of situations instead of being seen as a valued participant in the situation. And I know how that feels. I know how that felt being put in that situation and being made to feel like, well, you the Kumbaya guy over there in that little (laughs) peace room, you know, and then, you know, all you do, all the kids love you, but they don't love me. And, you know, they get to get away with everything because they get to go in a peace circle with you. And it's getting that reframing of that thought Change that mindset just like I had to go through in my journey of changing that mindset from thinking that uh, what we're doing is just a check off a box yeah. to this is about humanity. This is about me seeing you, who you are, and valuing who you are. Do you know the individuals who are the most susceptible to zero tolerance? And zero tolerance audience is the philosophy that drives our, our school to prison pipeline and it focuses in on those three areas of suspensions, expulsions, and arrests in schools. You know who, who the most vulnerable? Black children. Right. Latinx children, children that are two des- designation, children that have 504 plans and IEPs. Those are the children that are the most susceptible to zero tolerance. And so putting in the work that Pruitt's doing in his organization, the work I'm doing in my organization and the countless other organizations that are out here on the front line. We need help. Audience, we need your help. We need you to get aware of this work. We need you to learn more about restorative justice. We need you to go to the board meetings and encourage the board members that want your vote to have on their plank restorative justice and how that's going to dismantle the school-to-prison pipeline and build a school-to-career highway so we have more of our children being successful and getting plugged into this, to our society as opposed to going into the prison industrial complex and some of them not even coming out or being able to come out or their skills and their stuff is being used for the system but not for the communities that they came out of and this whole deep, deep divesting of our communities and taking all this brain trust and knowledge and shoveling in the system, shoveling in the way and pushing it away. So what we're doing is we're interrupting. And there's a business model called disruptive innovation, right? Everybody knows Uber. Audience, y'all know Uber, right? You know Uber is a disruptive innovation. It started out as a small little ride share to now it's pushing out the taxis. Now they actually go get your food too. So you got people taking their concept in Grubhub and DoorDash, Hey, Blockbuster audience, right? Nick, right? Blockbuster should be top of the of the streaming. They should be the top because they were the ones that were doing all of the stuff with VHS's. Now there's only one Blockbuster in the whole United States, and who <laughs> took them over, little <laughs> old Netflix, right? So when I'm talking to our culture team and I'm looking in their eyes, I know you're looking in their eyes. They, they're from you. Yeah. But you're looking in their eyes. You can see the 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 the, 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 the frustration. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking in there, I'm like, oh my gosh. And that's why I told them, don't give up. This thing is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. And so when we talk about the peers, we talk about the young people, which was the work that I was talking about, I believe so strongly in our young people (laughs) being successful in learning these skills. And then what is that terminology you used to it it so powerful about how it it, it moves from the school into the home? But you had a word. Restorative
1: practice, it sticks to its host. Yeah, so what? so like when you when what? you when you're doing restorative practice, <laughs> <All> day, <y'all.
2: laughs> I'll,
4: I'll
1: I'll I'll connect that restorative practice in all my spaces. Yeah, you can do it. Uh-huh. If you if you worked anything right, you're going to bring something from your work home. Well, how about if we start to build our capacity to create spaces for people to, to connect with one another, to create spaces where people feel affirmed and restored? Well, that's going to come with me. I'm not a, a peer mediator in a school building. Does not forget how to be a peer mediator when his cousins get into it? That's right. He they, oh, switch. Yeah, now now I'm gonna experiment. do the same peer mediation, <laughs> but I'm gonna do it for my cousins, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, some of us, you know, that was same restorative circle that they did, where they talked about their joy. You could take that same restorative circle, and you could do it with your boy line, with your family, and and now we're learning about each other because healing is remembering. Healing is bringing us back into collective membership with one another. So, yes, it's remembering, remembering who we are, remembering our humanity, remembering our dignity, like remembering our thoughts, like bringing it to account. But it's also re-membership. How do I make sure that everyone is recognized as being a member of our collective? So there's stories that you may be missing that you haven't created the forum to hear from your family members. Maybe you need to do restorative the Circle. Well, you're not necessarily restoring from a harm that your family member did, but maybe you're restoring the connection To understand those, to get those nutrients from those stories. Uh, You know, when you think about gardening, one of the things I always say in these trainings is that everything you need to learn about taking care of human beings, you can learn from plants, right? And there is a term called biodiversity, and it's where in a garden, the things that have passed away, the nutrients that come from different plants, they can benefit other plants. That's right. Some of those nutrients are literally plants that have gone and passed away, that have left but they left something. They left something for the plant to grow from. And so we want to make sure that we're building spaces where we can thrive. The the beauty of when we're dealing in agriculture is that the seed was a forest as a seed. Right. It was whatever all the capacity for that seed to be fully authentically what it was made to be was in seed form. Well, we have to start to ask ourselves as, as as climate cultivators as context cultivators in our schools is, am I creating the conditions for the seeds that I have been entrusted with to be fully actualized in the way that best fits them to be fully who they can become? Or am I creating impediments to their growth? And if we're creating impediments, then that's where the restoration needs to happen because I need to restore my right relationship with the seeds that I've been trusted with. Time and time again, I kept saying, "You are human beings, and there are human beings that have been entrusted to you." Absolutely, yep. And that's why we're talking about, you know, that's why it's important to understand, you know, what are restorative chats, what are restorative circles, how do we do remediations? Because it's bringing that remembrance to us. It's bringing that remembering. All of us are a part of the collective, and what we are teaching them, they're learning. If I'm teaching you that you are worthy. That you are valuable, that you are that you are beautiful, that you are come with light and purpose, and and that I won't do anything to dim that light or to exploit that purpose or to anyway tear away at your value. If that's what you're learning from me, when you go out and you face oppressive systems, you already got a team behind you that has your back, that taught you, now we ain't gotta stand for that. Right? And that's where we can begin to shift systems, not just in our school space. Because this our schools that we engage with. They are a, uh, they are results of other oppressive systems, right? The ways they've been built, the ways we experience, and many of us, we project the winner's projection on folks. Well, I made it, so you should be able to make it too. And I really want to just talk to the listeners that if you made it in a space that was oppressive, that othered you, that was exploitative in any way that made you feel less than human, I apologize because you shouldn't have had to experience that. But guess what? the kids 20 years from now don't have to experience that what are we committed to do to make sure no one has to make it through the thing that we made it through or are we so pompous are we so uh you know full of ourselves that we'll say well if i got through it you should do it too that's harmful right and i think that's where that push comes for us to build our capacity so it was beautiful man it was beautiful to see 18 different campuses have their people here learning tools practicing those tools. And I think the way Noble is approaching this is powerful. And I think what needs to remain is is a commitment, a commitment to not just teach us, not just give us these spaces, but to recenter us time and time again, that this is about making sure humans can flourish in our campuses, in our classrooms. And my full belief is when this becomes normal, When restorative circles and mediations and having these type of conversations, when when being open and honest and clear about the fact that every one of our children deserves dignity and to be affirmed, when that becomes normal. Now, we're building the next set of leaders where that becomes normal in their communities. That becomes normal when they're facing policies and practices that dehumanize. That becomes normal when they move to states where people are outlawing the ability to tell the truth. Like you've got to get our youth in a space to where they feel that support because, you know, Restore the Practice, it sticks with the hope.
0: So let's take a moment to hear from our deans of culture about what they felt was the most valuable part of their learning for the day.
4: What stood out most to me today with regards to talking about restorative practices
1: has been this notion of restorative practices having to be culturally responsive. And I love the way we've been framing and defining culture, defining culture as the ways in which a group of people make meaning of the world around them. So restorative practice having to be cognizant of the ways in which that people are experiencing and being already and just finding ways to complement and address those things. I think was like very important. It, did no, it removes the notion of institutional sovereignty with regards to what we're doing. The goal is no longer to make the institution better,
0: but the institution grows because of the health of its members.
5: Today, being able to just do the circle today as a group made it very evident of how we can just do this pretty consistently through the day to just build community and what that will do for our students um, and the ripple effect that will have throughout the day. So I think it's just like exactly what Terrence said today is like seeing a human. Um, I think that when we are in the building in those the hours that the, the school day is running um, we have so many goals and ideas that we want to get through that we do lose track of just the individual human that is in front of us. Um, and I think you're, when you're in a circle you can't um, you, you have to connect, you have to hear, you have to listen. Um, and it's really, really hard to go back into a different setting um, and not still see that human. So I'm just like super excited for the, the push. I've been here 10 years. And so the conversations that have changed in these rooms are just like remarkable. And so to be able to have an entire day talking about how to humanize our students is pretty remarkable.
4: I think I was really energized being back in a building with... Um... The rest of the deans and the culture teams i think the thing that stood out to me the most was just kind of like the resources that we were given um, to be able to take back to our campuses um, and just kind of collaborate with staff i was really excited about restorative um, some of the restorative conversations that are going to be taking place um, at our campus Um, particularly with our culture team i feel like having the trainings that we did today um, gave our team more confidence in being able to say like hey i can actually do this A lot of the practice that we did back in our um, spaces was, I think, empowering um, because it just showed our team that like, hey, we can actually do this work. It's not as difficult. Um, Where I really feel that like moving forward, not only our culture team can do, but we can also like share that with our staff.
6: Um, I think something that stood out to me the most was when he stated that restorative has to start with us building the students like Person to self, person to person, and then person to institution. Um, I feel like working in the education system in general, we're always trying to restore, like, even if a student is coming back, um, we're trying to restore them to the institution. But we need to, um, one thing that stood out to me was that we need to restore them to, like, themselves. So just because they made that mistake, like, what made them make that mistake? Um, maybe how are they feeling? What are some things that's going on in their personal life that's affecting, like, the things that they're doing in their day-to-day so restore them to, the, to
3: themselves person to person and then to the institution is what really stood out to me So i mean to most today was definitely like just like keeping me grounded in like making sure that we are intentional with our restorative circles intentional with our R threes our um, threes i think like the restorative mindset is like uh, you know as terrence pointed out like restoration like you get this car like this old car and you continue to like put put into it put time into it put you know, put the work in and things like that. And like, ultimately, like with a child, when we get a human, a 13, 14 year old, we have to continue to like mold them and put work into them to for it to be this big, shining, bright um, person when we're done and to go on and lead successful things in life after, after high school. So you have to continue to put the work in, I think like through restored conversations, through mediations, um, day-to-day continue to like push and remind students that it's okay to make mistakes and things like that. We just have to restore and correct ourselves and move forward. Um, That's a great thing.
0: Now, I know there's a, a listener that's saying, everything you said, Mr. Pruitt, Everything you said, Dr. Sparser, sounds great. I believe students should be seen and valued, they should be affirmed, we should have connected environments. But I don't really believe in the restorative approach when I want to teach my content in my class. And as maybe other people have said, we've tried this restorative thing and it didn't go well for us how would you kind of like talk through uh, with a school district or even like a teacher say like, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to this work. Yeah. I don't feel like I have the support that I may need to do it. I'm doing it in the pocket in my school building or we've tried to launch it on the district level and things just haven't kind of panned out the way we thought it would. In yeah. um, your both work, again, traveling across the country, how would you kind of like work with our, our audience on like getting to a point where they can continue to push the work in their respective spaces?
2: So. I had the opportunity to work in a Syracuse City School District for about five years, and we had a lot of that going on in terms of uh, buy-in, right? How do we buy into this particular concept? And when I was asked to come and consult with that district, three things came out to me that I think will help the audience. Um, One is building a team that is dedicated to being trained and getting the knowledge and information specific to how to be restorative, how to live a restorative and walk a restorative life. Number two, build the brand, right? Build the brand in such a way that when people see or hear restorative justice, they know what it means and what and how it's supposed to be used, as opposed to what they think and they want it to be used as. So building the brand is like very important. And finally, and one of the most hardest things to do is building buy-in. One of the great great knowledge, you know, information that I received, great lessons that I received working in that district and a few others is the buy-in does not happen overnight. Audience, do you hear me? The buy-in does not happen overnight. It's not going to happen in six months, it's not going to happen in three months, it's not going to happen in one month. Sometimes it's going to take three years, sometimes five years, and depending upon the size of your district, it may take 10, 20 years. But you could be that one person of many with your team and with your building of your brand and building of your brand to begin to usher in a new day. Uh, yourself, Nick, uh, saw the district one way. Now, today, March 3rd, 2022, we're in a room of 150 people, 130 people, mm-hmm. right? Culture, culture and climate coordinators, right? I mean, they're called cultured culture specialist. social specialists. Yep. And here they are, getting all this great knowledge and information from these experts in the work, but it took time to build that team, right? You can sit back and think how much time it took for you, for us to get back together, right? Right. Or get here, right? Then to build the brand, right? That this is worth the effort, right? This is worth the time, right? This is worth you spending the whole day. You know, I'm not going to go and buy a Pepsi or Coca-Cola. I don't think it don't taste good. And, and you know, so if I, if I think restorative justice is something that's going to make me, help me in, in my furthering of my education, but also be able to help others. Yeah, that's what I want to get part of. And that's a brand I want to connect to. Right. And then finally, the buy-in. Right. The buy-in comes with time. It comes with consistency. It comes with Dr. Dr. Jay is doing, Dr. Janine Franklin, who shared this very powerful terminology, I'm going to travel all over the place and I'm going to give a credit for it, put the trademark or something because you're going to hear it replayed back and it's going to be your name attached to it. She said restorative minutes is instructional minutes. And a lot of the buy-in is that teachers feel like what Mr. Pruitt's doing with his organization and the youth that he's working with in Nashville and in Maine and Maryland and all across the United States is not worth the time because they're losing instructional time. But when you understand that that time that you're, that you're receiving with this incredible organization and with us at Restorative Strategies is going to help you in the instructional teaching and learning time, then you're going to see it's worth it. This is something that I want to connect with. This is something that I want to spend time and energy investing and in really building myself up. And I'm really, really thankful that all those members that were sitting in that room were invested.
0: So, Dr. Spicer, during our sessions today, you shared a very straightforward framework with our uh, participants so they can know like how the work is actually going and how they could identify spaces in their culture um, so they can really have an idea about how what they're doing and like, how students are experiencing their culture. Can you share with our audience what that framework was?
2: Sure. Um, I got this framework from a very uh, intelligent young lady that I work with in Syracuse uh, City School District, uh, Ms. Nicole Hayes, and she talks about what culture is, right, and from her... Uh, understanding and her work. Culture is what we practice, what we promote, and what we permit in a school environment. And that culture affects the climate and not the other way around. Because if we're trying to affect climate and we're trying to do it fast, that's when Zero Towns kicks in, because we're trying to get the temperature down in a, the overall feel of a school, you know, community down
0: fast. And so what that but, means is like we see an uptick in suspensions. Exactly. We see an uptick in expulsion. Exactly. We see police in our buildings and spaces more often than that's we That's what should. we see. Yep.
2: When you see that, that's because there's this heightened awareness that the temperature has risen. So now the reaction is not to bring in circles, but to bring in police, to bring in zero tolerance, to bring in these draconian practices and policies that hurt and harm and arrest the development of our young people. So the focus is to now get into the culture. What are you practicing in your school, right? Are you practicing zero tolerance or are you practicing a restorative mindset, right? What are you promoting? What are you you using as your way of getting the message out in your Mm -hmm. school and in your community to let people know we're not the same school that we were, like what happened when we were down there at Finger High School. We had to change the approach of what was going on internally before we can promote to the world that we are a different school and this is a place where you can come and you can learn and your children can be safe. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the practice. Right? What are you practicing, right? Are you practicing peace circles? Are you practicing conflict circles? Are you practicing circles of understanding? Are you practicing mediation? Are you getting the young people trained so they can actually take some of these young people that are in trouble and have them actually restore them into the community, how powerful that is for another young person to help another young person. Each one reach one, each one teach one, and they in turn can monitor and mentor and support them in their development. And, and so that's the focus when we're looking at culture.
0: this podcast is called Changing the Course mm-hmm. and we've been transparent and authentic in what we are promoting as an organization and right now we are promoting ourselves as being an anti-racist organization yeah. and Restorative Practices is um, our approaching a mindset that we've adopted to ensure that we are working and walking the talk of being anti-racist with Restorative Practices being a tool if we didn't uh, you know, bring in Restorative Practices and adopt that as a mindset would we truly be able to be anti-racist as an organization?
1: No not even close. Like, like what is, that if you're not addressing what, what is anti-racism? So let's let's begin that. Right. So this construct of racism and and, uh, and racialized oppression that is a byproduct of human trafficking. It didn't it, the, the myths that we were taught, all well, racism is here because people don't, aren't kind or racism is here because people don't know because they're xenophobic. No. Racism, that construct, as we know it, difference existed before the transatlantic slave trade, uh, oppression existed, you know, gender discrimination existed before that. But the construct of conflating folks into racialized ideas and, and, and giving them some natural inclination connected to that race. That's a byproduct of a capitalist move to traffic human beings. Right. If you want to know, look up uh, Gomez means De Zarara, who was the chief chronicler of uh, of of of. Portugal at the time. He wrote a book about Prince Henry the Navigator. He was the first person to codify in text Afro-pessimism, this belief that because you are African, that slavery is somehow better than you being free, right? So that construct of race and racialization that we know was birthed from human trafficking. It was birthed from exploitation. So if I am anti-racist, my work is to find the exploitation, right? We teach a framework called anti-racist restorative practice. where we first acknowledge that within our systems and with our institutions, that racism has been at play. Or oh, racialized oppression. You say, Terrence, why do you keep saying racialized oppression? Because when we hear racism, we think about melanin. We think skin. But when you think about racialized oppression, that's when you are conferring some resource or some access based on someone's identity. So racialized oppression happens because you're queer. It happens because you you are woman-identified. It happens because you English is your second language or you may have a a different nationality. So all those constructs of racialized oppression are really centered on one thing. This group should be preferred because of their identity. This group should be exploited. That is a myth of human hierarchy. So if I'm responding to this myth of human hierarchy and saying I am anti-racist, but I'm not trying to restore relationships, restore spaces, confront institutional practices and policies that harm exploited peoples. I, those things can't they can't exist. I can't say I'm anti-racist, but then be zero tolerance. I can't say I'm anti-racist and then not have restorative practice. Those things cannot exist within themselves. themselves. So but what you have not. now is you have all these folks that read, you know, even in Hindi's book, uh, how to be anti-racist and they're like, yep, I got my how to be anti-racist, <laughs> you know, t-shirt. And that wasn't his intent, you know? And I have people that may not agree with everything in that book, but the real is this. If you want to be anti-racist, Then you have to seek seek out, right? When we said acts, you know, when I talked about that 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 framework of anti-racist restorative practice, the how of that framework begins with acknowledging. Then it turns to centering and turning, centering the lived experience of those who've actually experienced the harm, and turning them and saying, "What can we do to make this space better?" Now, I'm not saying you go to the one black person that you have on your staff and be like, "Yo, this has been pretty racist. What should we do? Mm-hmm. There's books, texts. There's all different ways where people of color or marginalized folks have said this is what we need to affirm our identity, affirm our humanity, et cetera. Right. There's brilliant from bell hooks to a list of different folks that you can read and get that information. But after we acknowledge that racism, racism, racialized oppression are in our systems and we center the lived experience of those that are in our systems and turn to them. We then need to seek. we got to seek out those practices that are harmful and we have to abolish those practices. But abolition is not about breaking things down. It's about what we seek to build. So if I tear down the policies or I tear down the practice, but I haven't done the creative work of building a space that curates safe space for human beings, then I'm not really doing the work of abolition. So that's what needs to happen. So you cannot cannot be anti-racist, but be anti-restorative. No, that's racist. Because how do we hold the institutions accountable for the harm they've already done? See, we sometimes think about this moment and we say, oh, in this particular moment, we're anti-racist and we're going to start fresh from zero. But that's not the real. The babies that walk into your school in North Lawndale in Inglewood and the different communities here in Chicago, they're not just walking into school with just their context. There's intergenerational harm that they have in their backpack that they're walking in with. And how do I know? Because some of them are walking through disinvested communities. And when they come into a school, not only do I have my experience that I'm carrying with me, I got my uncle's experience, my auntie's experience, my mama's experience. And if they were all dehumanized in their spaces. So, so restoration, restorative practice is not just how do I respond when a child misbehaves. It's how do I fix systems to create safe spaces for human beings? Yeah. I can't be anti-racist if I'm not focused on fixing systems to create healing, healthy and affirming spaces for human beings.
0: We typically do a session in our uh, podcast in which we get down to practice. Um, but I would argue that like, our conversation today was, was full of the why, the how, and how to get down to practice. Um, so I want to thank you, Terrence, I want to thank you, Dr. Spicer, thank for you. joining and changing the course today. I want to thank you for bringing your expertise into our noble space with our culture teams um, and working alongside Dr. Jan uh, to ensure that our culture teams have the uh, training that they need to go back into their schools to continue to push this work uh, for the better of our students. Before we go, we always have our guests read our grinding quote, which is by Bettina Love. To love all children, we must struggle together to create the schools we are taught to believe are impossible.
1: Schools built on justice, love, joy, and anti-racism.
0: Gentlemen, I appreciate the time today. Thank you. Thank you all. Blessings to you and gratitude. Thank you to your all audience. All
2: right. Thank
1: you. Appreciate y'all, I'm listening.
6: Changing the Course is a video podcast series produced by Noble Schools, a leading charter school network in Chicago, Illinois. If you're interested in seeing the video for this episode or learning more about Noble, you can visit us at nobleschools.org. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Changing the Course is hosted by Nicholas Jones, Manager of Student Support and Culture at Noble Schools. Our special guests this episode were Reverend Dr. Robert Spicer and Terrence Pruitt. You can find both of them on LinkedIn. If you're interested in learning more about the restorative justice organizations that they run, you can find Dr. Spicer's organization, Restorative Strategies, at www.restorativestrategies.expert. You can find Mr. Pruitt's organization, Project Restore Initiative, at www.restorativestrategies.expert projectrestoreinitiative.com. This episode was produced by Nicholas Jones, Ash Kenyon, and Rachel Powers, and edited by Ash Kenyon. The music you heard throughout this episode was created by Angel Mancia, one of our students at Mution College Prep. It was mixed and edited by David Reddick, a music teacher at Mution. If you have any questions you would like us to answer during this series, send us an email at communications at nobleschools.org with the subject line question for changing the course. Thanks for listening and see you next time.